Our scripture reading this morning comes from James 1, verses 16 through 25. This can be found on page 1814 in your pew Bibles. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose us to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all the moral filth and evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourself, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but to not do what it is is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who intentionally into the perfect law gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard but doing it. He will be blessed in what he does. The word of the Lord. Thank you, girls, for reading this morning. Um, God has a funny sense of humor. Um, he must have known that it was Gem Sunday, so he made me a little younger by giving me a zit on my forehead. <laughs> it might be uh, helpful for you to keep your Bibles open to James 1 um, or use your bulletin to mark the page because we'll be going back to James 1 quite often this morning. In my life, I have seen many pastors reuse sermon illustrations. I'm sure you have too. It's not bad to reuse illustrations over and over, but I have seen, I'm sure you have too, I have seen pastors reuse a story or a metaphor as if it's the first time they ever share with the congregation, right? Ever since I was like, you know, young, like Jem's young, I always wondered, I used to wonder, if those pastors really didn't remember using that illustration, or is simply they just didn't care. And after, um, after a, less than a month of being an ordained pastor, I have a hunch. I have a hunch that pastors don't remember. <laughs> I mean, every pastor is a little different, I bet. You know, Pastor Peter might disagree with me, but I honestly believe that pastors do not remember. I say all this because I have a story that I want to share with you this morning, and I just can't remember if I shared this with you guys or not. Here's a story. This happened when I was in Maryland. Um, there was a neighborhood Panera with a nice outdoor patio. I went there quite often to kill three birds, to get my coffee, to get my vitamin D, and to get some reading done. 
So one day I was there again as usual, just doing my stuff, and suddenly a group of girls, probably not much older than our gems girls here, um, took over the booth right next to me and started talking about various things. I really didn't mean to eavesdrop, but they were really loud. <laughs> so I was sort of forced to listen to some of their conversations. I heard a lot of laughing, giggling, and ewing. Um, and at one point, they must have started sharing photos or showing photos to one another. One of the girls said to another, hey, I really like this photo. You look really cute in this. You should post it on Instagram. I'm sharing this story to you this morning, with you this morning because of how she responded to her friend. She said, yeah, I like the photo, but I'm not sure if that's my brand. That right there, that response right there is a clear illustration of this cultural shift that we've all been going through as a society. This shift is marked by expressive individualism or authenticity, this idea that you as an individual need to be unique and different. You might have seen um, this shift in the way that people increasingly see themselves as the final authority in their lives. Because they are the final authority in their lives, they are supposed to be free from any outside factors and influences like religion, traditions, or any forms of authority. There's, we are supposed to reject all of that. This cultural shift teaches us that individual autonomy and freedom to express and define oneself are human rights. And this shift is happening everywhere, especially among our youth. And this explains the increasing mistrust and skepticism that people, especially our youth, have toward the Christian religion and anything that is associated with our religion. After all, why should anyone read and obey what is written in the Word of God if they are the final authority in their lives? So in this cultural climate, the law is seen as the most restrictive thing out there. Some people might say that it is oppressing because it sets limits on who people can be or what people can do. But in our scripture reading, James says the very opposite. The phrase in verse 25, the perfect law that gives you freedom, just might be the most paradoxical, puzzling statement to many people today, especially to younger people like our Gems girls. It goes directly against the ethos of this cultural shift that I'm talking about here. I mean, how can something restrictive and oppressing in its nature give you freedom? But let's consider James' argument here. And the first thing that we should notice is that he wrote this letter to early Christians, whom he calls brothers and sisters. The goal here was to encourage his brothers and sisters in Christ so that they wouldn't give in to trials and temptations, but continue to be faithful in their walk with Christ. So after a very short greeting in verse 2, he gets straight to the point. He says in verse 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, 
whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete. Then in verse 3, James makes an important point that although these, God can use these trials and temptations to complete us, those trials and temptations do not come from God. They have human origins. In other words, they come from our own sinful desires. Our sinful desires give birth to sin, he says, and that sin gives birth to death. What does come from God, however, is every good and perfect gift. And the best example of that or such good and perfect gift, according to James, is birth through the word of truth, which is James' word for the gospel. But notice how James words that in verse 18. He says, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Us, of course, refers to born-again Christians who have been given this new birth through the gospel, then it must be the case that the paradoxical statement about the perfect law that gives us freedom is also addressed to born-again Christians with the new birth experience. And such new birth has an important implication regarding one's identity. The Heidelberg Catechism explains that very clearly, but before we get to that, let me say a few words about Heidelberg Catechism. Our denomination has three confessions, and confessions are expressions of the Christian faith. And we believe that those three confessions are faithfully and completely in agreement with the Word of God. So we believe that when So we believe that when the Heidelberg Catechism says, my only comfort in life and death is that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. When the catechism says that, we believe that is true. That through this new birth through the gospel, we now belong to Christ. We're not our own, but belong to Christ. However, that is not what our society and culture teach people today. Many people, especially our youth, our gems girls, do not really see themselves as belonging to someone else. Even if they're Christian, they don't think that way. Today we are taught that we are our own, that we actually belong to ourselves. I mean, after all, we live in a culture that sees human autonomy or individual autonomy and freedom to define and express oneself as human rights. And if you are your own, and if you do belong to yourself, then you really are the final authority in your own life. You're the only person who can define what you are, who you are, and what you can and cannot do. And no one else can say otherwise. Such individual autonomy sounds great. It seems like it would be freeing to define oneself, but it comes at a great price. If I were to elevate myself to the position of the final authority, and if I, if I accept the fact that I need to be free from all moral, religious, social values out there, then I must recognize that I have to bear everything on my own. 
everything falls on my shoulders. I become responsible for the meaning of my own life, the purpose of my own life. Since I have rejected religious values, there is no God to judge me or justify me. If that's the case, I must become my own just judge and own redeemer. In the end, I will end up forcing myself to justify my life by constantly redefining and constantly re-expressing myself as a unique, authentic, one-of-a-kind human being. And the author, uh, Alan Noble, critiques this cultural shift and says, because everybody is trying to justify his or her own life, society becomes a space of vicious competition between individuals, vying for attention, meaning, and significance, not unlike, this is the key, not unlike the contrived drama of reality TV. That is precisely what this young girl at Panera was doing when she said that photo wasn't her brand. That was her photo. That was her in that photo. That's exactly who she was. And it was not, from, based on what I heard, it was not a terrible photo either. It was not taken from a wrong angle. Like, she didn't show her double chin and half-opened eyes. It was a good photo, according to her friends. She looked cute in it. She even says she liked the photo, but at the same time, she had the responsibility to redefine and express herself as an authentic, unique, one-of-a-kind human being. Maybe she thought that the photo made her look basic. Maybe she has seen similar photos on Instagram already. Whatever the case may be, she thought that this photo wasn't going to do the job, wasn't going to help her create this unique and authentic brand of her own. And she is not alone here. Today, so many people, especially our GEMS girls, our boys club boys, and our youth group students are constantly wrestling with how to define and express themselves as unique and authentic, one-of-a-kind human beings. It's a taxing burden disguised in the name of freedom, but that's no freedom at all. But here's an idea. What if people could be free from the taxing burden and responsibility and the weight of creating their own identity, own meaning and purpose in life? What if James' countercultural and paradoxical statement about this perfect law that gives you freedom was true? Let's consider that. Let's go back to verse 18. James says, God chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And we might call that justification. Then James goes on to state the purpose of this new birth. That is, we are to become a kind of first fruits of all God created. We might call that sanctification. God does not leave us hanging once he has chosen us and given us new birth. No, he continues to work in us by transforming us and enabling us to become who we were always meant to be, who we are saved to be. God accomplishes both justification and sanctification through the word of truth, the gospel. We know that the gospel saves, 
But the scope of that saving we call salvation is much larger than what we often make it out to be. Salvation is not just about justification. It's not just about new birth through the gospel. It's also about sanctification, new life through the gospel. And James breaks down sanctification in a very practical manner in the following verses. He says that it is about producing righteousness that God desires. And that begins with getting rid of all moral filth and evil and accepting, humbly accepting, the word of truth that is already planted in us. Paul, Apostle Paul, might call this putting off our old self and putting on the new self. The word that we are called to humbly accept is the same word of truth that God uses to give us new birth. And since we are already given this new birth, this isn't an altar call. This, God is not asking us to be converted again. But new birth means there is a new life to be lived. And this new life must be lived according to the gospel by living it out. Or as James puts it, do not merely listen to the word, but do what it says. In verses 22 through 25, James says, if we don't live it out, it's like looking at ourselves in the mirror and forgetting immediately what we just looked at. It's kind of confusing, but we have a helper here. The Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard has a perfect illustration uh, that explains what James was getting at. And I'm sure he has used this illustration multiple times. And since he's a moral philosopher, I'm sure he has admitted that he has used it before. Um, There was a land full of ducks, and these were Christian ducks. So every Sunday, these Christian ducks got put on their Sunday best and waddled off to their duck church. When it was time for them to listen to the sermon, the duck minister entered the pulpit and opened the duck Bible uh, to the passage where it talked about God's greatest gifts to ducks. Wings. The duck minister said, with wings, we can fly. With wings, we can become free. We can soar like eagles. With wings, we can escape the confines of pens and cages. With wings, we can become all God meant us to be. So give thanks to God for our wings and fly. All the ducks quacked amen. And after that, all the ducks waddled back home. The point here is that there is no point in listening to the gospel if you're not going to live it out and be transformed by it. That's why James suddenly switches the word here and uses the word law in verse 25 to refer to the gospel. By calling the gospel the perfect law, James is emphasizing that we cannot pick and choose which aspects of the gospel we are going to accept or reject. We shouldn't just hear the gospel. We must obey and do the gospel, all of the gospel, both justification and sanctification, both new birth and new life, both hearing and obeying the gospel. It's through the gospel that God has made his people free. Free from sin and death, also free to humbly accept the gospel. Free to live it out 
free to be transformed by the gospel, free to become the people that they were always meant to be, free to become the people that God created them to be. But so many people are still enslaved to the burden, taxing burden and weight of having to define and express themselves as unique and authentic individuals. And that includes Christians. That includes us. Because of, what our, because of what our society and culture teach us, some of us, especially our youth, have not recognized the transforming, sanctifying, meaning and purpose-giving power of the gospel. That is why we need to be surrounded by a good cloud of witnesses. That's why our youth needs ministries like GEMS, where they can see how more mature Christians don't just hear the gospel, but also obey and do it and live it out and live in its freedom that God gives through his word. In fact, that applies to all of us because everyone needs the gospel. That's why God calls us to come to church. That's why God calls us to join a life group. That's why God calls us to attend youth group. Because we all need to be reminded that Jesus, the incarnate word of God, has freed us from sin and death. And that following, and that following the same incarnate word of God and obeying his perfect law will free us from the taxing burden and responsibility to define and express ourselves as unique and authentic one-of-a-kind individuals. The gospel does not set limits on who we are or what we can and cannot do, but reveals to us who we are meant to be, what we are called to do. It defines for us our true purpose and meaning in life. It is freeing to know that everything doesn't have to fall on our shoulders. It is freeing to know that there is a God who has redeemed us. And it is freeing to know that the same God cares so deeply about us, deeply about us that he's actively transforming us according to his infinite wisdom revealed in the word of truth. His perfect law. It is freeing to know that his perfect law enables us to become what we were always meant to be. So let's look at the incarnate word of God. Let's look at it. Let's hear it. Let's do it. And let's accept that word. And let's discover the freedom that the word gives to us. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that your word has not only freed us from sin and death, but also from the cultural and societal expectations. And because of this freedom, we can be who you called us to be. We thank you for gems which teaches the gospel and the freedom that comes from living it out. At this time, we ask that you would equip our leaders, enable them to not only hear the word, but do it so that our youth, our girls can see how freeing it is to follow your word. And we ask the same for all our ministries. God, use them to show us and the world that there is true freedom in obeying your law and that there true purpose and meaning in life can be found in the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his holy name. Amen.